Yo, my name is Aziza Barnes. Fuck with me, December 7th, Steppenwolf, Chicago. Come see my play, Blacks, world premiere. Come through, that's December 7th. Tickets go up soon in the next few months. They're $25 to $45, sliding scale. Come through. Yo, on April 27th, you can catch me at uh, Bucket Feet, Chicago. I'll be reading with Sammy Ortega and Sarah Salgado. Um, it's going to be a breakbeat reading, April 27th, 6 to 8 p.m., hosted by Nate Marshall. Y'all should come through. I have two things, uh, April 24th and 25th in the Adirondacks. I'm going to be doing a reading with Jean Ann Verlee, Lauren Whitehead, and Carlos Andres Gomez. It's a two-night ordeal. You can check it out through the Adirondack Center for Writing and get information on that. Also, starting on April 18th, I am co-curating and co-hosting a really, really special short run of open mics and features in New York City. It's going to be in Brooklyn. I'm co-hosting it with Mahogany Brown and Jive Poetic and Falu and Adam Faulkner. We've cooked up a really special show called Supa Dupa Fresh, all one word. It's at Ode to Babel in Brooklyn at 7 p.m. on each of those nights. Our feature on the 18th is going to be Adesan. Elise Germay in conversation with Mo Brown. Uh, and then on the 25th, we have Sam Sachs. And on May 2nd, we're going to have Lynn Procope. So you should come out for what's going to be a pretty special run of open mics, I'm assuming, that are going to be pretty stacked. Uh, and hopefully you, if you come and you bring a poem. Other than that, here is our show. This is part one of an interview that the Poetry Gods did with... Patricia Smith at Vassar College. It was really special. Part two is going to be coming out in two weeks. It is worth the wait. We love you. Later.
Those are some big ass slices of pizza. Yeah, we couldn't help but notice. <laughs> the dedication is on point. <laughs> I was going to say, like, please make yourselves at home. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> we record this in the living room. Uh, so please, like, you know, enjoy yourselves. We're you know, we're clearly going to enjoy ourselves. Uh, so please join us in that. And thank you for welcoming us. Yeah, yo. Beautiful. I think that's beautiful. I don't know that I have anything to really add. Yeah, just okay. be cozy in your living room. This is your living room for the night. Yes. Um, before we get into the podcast, as we do it, we're going to kick off with some poems. Because y'all don't really maybe know our poems. Or if you do, then this is cute. You get to hear our poems. So we're happy about that. Also, um, and we'll be later introducing, we can't just ignore this wonderful person on stage with us. The God, Patricia Smith. Give a huge... Sipping on a lovely white wine because she is cultured and yes. we are hooligans. <laughs> and that's what we know about that. But to kick us off, <laughs> yeah, extended, yo. Uh, to kick us off is the one and only most beautiful and incredible Jose Olivares. Shut down. Hey. hey. All right. <laughs> wow, wow. <laughs> It's your house, you know, <laughs> clap or not clap, that's, you know. Uh, I'm gonna read one poem, it's called, My Therapist Says Make Friends With Your Monsters. Mm. This is how it goes. We are gathered in truce to discuss our differences. My therapist seated between us. My roadrunner legs point past the door in case. We are gathered in truth because my therapist said it was time to stop running and I pay my therapist too much to be wrong, so I am here. My monsters, coyotes in the chase, look almost human in the sterile office light. My monsters say they just want to be friends. I remember when we first met, me and my monsters. I remember the moment I birthed each one. Each time I tried to shed a piece of myself, it grew into a monster. Take this one with the collar of belly fat around its neck, the monster called Chubby, Husky, Big Boy. I climbed out of that skin as fast as I could, only to see some spirit give it legs. I ran, and it never stopped chasing me. After me, a long procession of sad monsters, each monster hungry to drag me back, to return me to the dirt I came from, ashes to ashes, fat boy to fat. I point my feet to the nearest exit, all my fire alarms go off. My monsters crowd around me. I stare into a no fun house of mirrors showing me all the angles I try to forget. My therapist says I can't make the monsters disappear, no matter how much I pay her. All she can do is bring them into the room so I can get to know them, so I can learn their names, so I can see clearly their toothless mouths, their empty hands, their bleeding eyes. So, uh, next up uh, is my illustrious co-host. Give it up, y'all, for John Sands. Uh, so I did a show a while back that was called The Encyclopedia Show. Uh, and it was, it was a weird show 
uh, where basically they had to curate, they had like an overarching theme of the show. So it was like this one was the moon. And then every poet had to write new works that were based on a different subgenre of the moon. And the one that I got was Moons Over My Hammy. Uh, <laughs> does anybody know what that is? Yeah. I like this. I wish sometimes it's devastating that you're the one on stage and everybody can't see what you see. Because if you and I share something, which is that we wear our emotions on our face. <laughs> really, I asked that question and everybody was like, hmm, and he was like, <laughs> I don't know. It happens. I'm in graduate school right now, and literally my professors have to stop their lectures to like ask me if I'm okay. <laughs> Get that line. Uh, what's your name? Jimmy, good to meet you. Uh, okay, so I, maybe like some of you, had to Google it. Uh, and this is, so this is the poem that resulted uh, from it that unlocked a few other poems uh, that led me into the dark world that is high school. That might be still a little too familiar to some of you. Okay, uh, don't like it. Moons Over My Hammy is a Denny's breakfast Jenny's breakfast sandwich that I know dick about. I'm not above Denny's 3 a.m. breakfast. I'm just from Cincinnati, which means if you are classically inebriated with the moon out, that is some shit you do at Waffle House. Where the hash brown options describe my 16-year-old brain cells. Tonight, at Mark Baker's dad's townhouse, who is gone on business, and we play kings until three people have chugged the equivalent of six natural lights each from a flower face. <laughs> and my parents told me just no alcohol, and that is final, which is high school speak for cover your tracks, <laughs> which is impossible for a 16-year-old. <laughs> I wear American Eagle everything because it is an affordable Abercrombie in order to look like someone who has made out with more than three girls, two of which while I was on vacation. And tonight, Alicia Weston spends an hour over my lap at Mark's dad's vomiting into a plastic garbage bag that I am holding, and each time she passes echoey loud gas, which will define her more in our minds than that her father will die of a heart attack in 17 months. Tonight, Carrie Ballard laughs the loudest, even though in two years she will fillet three juniors in one night, and we will write it into the senior skit for our graduating class of 630, and Coach Amberry will find me the morning of the assembly and say, man to man, to follow through with a skit like that is the kind of thing that damages someone for life. So I smile while backing away and say it is out of my control. Tonight, Ox and I throw two punches that both miss, then lock ourselves in Mark's dad's bedroom to cry and say we love each other while Mark screams and pounds the door, and people will tell that story 11 years from now. Tonight, Jay Oliver is a 16-year-old on mushrooms who doesn't need to deal drugs wearing Ox's triple XL highlighter orange jumpsuit, being chased through Tanninger Woods by a suburban traffic cop who shatters his femur on an oak tree, and we definitely meet at Waffle House at three in the morning where we know Joanne the waitress by name. We pool our quarters to play meatloafs 
I would do anything for love. 36 times back to back on the jukebox, and I fall out of my chair on purpose to laugh on the ground. I have not lost my virginity, my grandparents, or spoken a word aloud about my father falling in love with another woman, and Mark Baker uses the word gay 17 times, refusing to apologize, and it is 4 a.m. in 1999 at Waffle House, and I am drunk enough to loudly call him a racist. I throw up in the bathroom before taking my scattered, smothered, covered hash browns to go, stumble the full five miles of moonlight back to my own bedroom, weeping the entire way. creatures and I think the language we use for them we apply to a lot of other motherfuckers um, so this is that how to kill a house centipede by squishing it behind a photo of Marion Makeba while contemplating various iterations of rigor mortis in my gentrified apartment complex on 750 McDonough Street Brooklyn New York 11233 it does appear to be a strain itself viral of some design, even violent with symmetry, each set of legs leading up to more sets of legs, and I don't know how to greet it, how to kindly suggest it get the fuck out my house or lead me to where it multiplies. Is there a nest of these, a hive of these? What do these call each other when in a large amorphous congregation do these fall in love and mate or mate and hatch, which is further from what I know. Sometimes I can't tell the human preference, and yes, it is the farthest thing from a person, though it could burrow in me if I allowed it, or even if I didn't allow it, which makes it exactly like certain human qualities again. Burrow through somewhere that requires synapse before a holler out can occur. An ear canal, for example. A nostril, for example. A non-consenting passage, you know the type. Conquered, when I am too happy, I catch a fever and have to lie down. Throw my arms into an unbearable position when we talk about, when we talk about the shape we leave this world and yes, I suppose I am that interested in the body defeated or the body striving to say something new about itself like the position saints die in, neck craned, arms crossed, legs crossed, how they don't decompose. And yes, part of me is ugly enough to want to be a saint, which means I will never be a saint, never die with all my limbs neatly drawn and I can't say I'd be an amenable corpse or that you would know how to greet me, me and my two tattoos, perhaps a third before I'm burnt and thrown. And yes, I hope to be burnt and thrown, not for any spiritual reason unless claustrophobia is a spiritual reason. I wake up screaming from dreams of waking up underground between Mississippi, Ohio, Montreal, a thumb, white, and no. 
I can't say I thought of anyone when I did it. When I saw four antennae lead a long insect across the wall above my desk, not the base of my wrist, popping against a paper version of Marion Makeba, her gray hand on her gray pencil dress, a woman who sang sometimes with her eyes closed and sometimes not, and yes, it is this that I find least human, to sing without your eyes open like sleeping next to someone you love. It is a symmetry, a faith, a nest of this, a hive of this, an amorphous congregation of this, so it is likely easy to kill if you can locate the source and yes I thought when one of the antennae dropped the other left to twitch without audible pattern stuck as a corpse to a woman who was often not allowed to leave or forced to stay very far from where she began I guess you can call that exile which is something I do understand I thought a colonizer's thought not I'm sorry or I shouldn't have killed it but if I don't kill it now how will I find it again So uh, my new book is called Incendiary Arts, and Incendiary Art, supposed to be arts. Um, it is an exploration of the various roles of fire in the lives of black people. Uh, the first one I'm going to read is the title poem, which was written after I heard someone say, why do they keep burning down their own neighborhoods? Incendiary Art. The city streets are densely shelled with rows of salt and packaged hair. Intent on air, the funk of crave and function comes to blows with any smell that isn't oil. The blare of storefront chicken settles on the skin and mango spritzing drips from razored hair. The corner chefs cue pork, decide again on cayenne, fry in grease that's glopped with dust. The sizzle of the feast adds to the din of children strutting slant, their wanderlust and cussing, plus the loud and tactless hiss of dogged hustlers bellowing past gusts of peppered breeze, that fatty, fragrant bliss in skillets. All our rampant hunger tricks us into thinking we can dare dismiss the thing men do to boulevards, the wicks their bodies be. A city strapped for art Delights in torching them, at first for kicks, to waltz to whirling sparks, but soon those hearts thud thinner, whittled by the chunk of heat. Outlined in chalk, men blacken and blaze apart. Their blindly rising fume is bittersweet, although reversals in the air could fool us into thinking they weren't meant as meat. Our sons don't burn their cities as a rule, born as they are, up to their necks in fuel. Thank you. Um, this one, there's a, a long sequence in the book. Uh, they always tell you, well, I tell my students all the time to listen for the voice that you're not hearing. So there's a long sequence that's dedicated to the mothers of uh, men and women who were killed at the hands of the police. And uh, this is a segment from it. March 3rd, 2014, Iberia Parish, Louisiana. Police say that Victor White III, 22, shot himself while handcuffed in the back of a police cruiser. 
November 19, 2013, Durham, North Carolina. Police say that Jesus Ferreira, 17, shot himself while handcuffed in the back of a police cruiser. July 29, 2012, Jonesboro, Arkansas. Police say that Chavis Carter, 21, shot himself while handcuffed in the back of a police cruiser. He reached back and found his own hands with his own hands, worked his bound fingers to set his free fingers loose, then used that shackled hand to free the other shackled hand, and the freed shackled hand, still shackled, was still bound to the other hand once both were free. Once free in the shackles, the shackled hands turned to the matter of the gun, which couldn't be there because they'd searched my baby twice, and a gun is a pretty big thing unless it isn't, unless it is dreamed alive by hands that believe they are no longer shackled. Stunned in cuffs, but free and searching, the left and right hands found a gun with a stink like voodoo, a gun that couldn't have been there, wasn't there, but was. The left-handed him used a cuffed hand, which could have been either left or right, since both were free, to root around for a trigger and fire a bullet right into his left-handed head. Impossible, but not really, since the preferred killing hand may have preferred its shackles. The policeman, who had searched my baby twice and cuffed both his free and unfree hands behind his back before his hands found his own hands and pulled, heard no human sound at all during all that frantic magic. No, fuck, as my boy struggled to get his left shackled hand to do what his right shackled hand wouldn't. No frenzied pound of one bracing foot against the door. No grunt of, or whoop of glee to mark all those times he slipped out of custody and in again but they did hear the bang of the gun that wasn't there, but was made when it sent that bullet into the right side of his left-handed head. Sounds like sacrifice, they thought. Slumped, eyes cocked and undone, my child was amazed at the sweet hoodoo he had managed. Both left and right hands were shackled and free behind him. There was an eerie, perfect circle of smoke in his hair. Suicide, they both said, at the very same time, and since it was odd how they had reached the same conclusion, they smiled and shook their heads. Noting the shackles, they praised their God in the light of the miracle, while the boy who couldn't have done what he did, but did, bled down to zero. Guess he couldn't take it, one of the alive said to the other. He didn't mean wearing the shackles, he meant not wearing them. Thank you. Uh, it's another incendiary art poem. This one, uh, the quote that inspired this poem is in the poem. Incendiary art, the body. I've nightmared your ride glum fists punching their way out of your own body, the blind stumble through the buckled vein of your throat as your nerve endings sputtered and blew. I've dipped my finger into a vaporous pool of your skin. The heat blessed your whole new self with horizon, square-jawed boy. With such potent intent, you blared illicit and just enough saint 
Now, with so many northern days between us, you are much easier to God. But they are looking for you. They are wildly sloshing fuel across the landscape, and they are screeching your name. Today, one said, I sure would like to burn a black man alive. So yeah, you left us here with undulating acres of fools and that particular stank leg of gospel. You left us all this snuff, hawk and proud little bow leg. You left their brains stunned by dairy and fat meat. You left us not much path, even after your body was that brief, beauteous torch. They seem to remember you fondly, and there are unstruck matches everywhere. Thank you. Yo, one more time for Patricia Smith, y'all. Thank you very much. Wonderful Patricia Smith. Make some noise. Like, we don't know her. I was like, hey, like that. I was like, I gotta, I gotta work on my coffee. I thought that was a good cue. You know what I'm saying? I was there. I mean, yo, I mean, like, you're practicing. This is all, this is all new information. I yes. like the little gap in between. It's suspenseful. There we go. I think you did good. I think you did good. I shout out that song. I shout out that song. <laughs> shout out to Suspense. Uh, you know, um, what's your, so we're, we're going to kick this off with... <laughs> I like want to say so many things. We're going to kick this off with our favorite segment, and that segment is... What's on your mind? Your mind? <laughs> Hi. What's on your mind? Oh, goodness. Um, I didn't realize it was going to be me. Be first. <laughs> first again. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what's on my mind? Okay, so this has been on my mind. I um, have this uh, white man therapist, and he's a very sweet white man therapist. And I feel, I feel very blessed to have a therapist at all. I want to put that out there. Like, that's a very joyful, gorgeous thing. Right. Mental health. Self-care is cute. So I'm not, you know, deriding the institution. I am, if you know me, which you don't, but if you know me, um, you know that's like a big thing for me. But um, I go into therapy, and I recently cut my hair, but then I got these braids in. 
And it's the end of the day. I'm very understanding about the end of the day for people. You're winding down, your energies are frantic. But my white man therapist looks at me and goes like, no, that is not yours on your head. That's not your hair. And we spend 15 minutes. I spend 15 minutes like telling him, yeah, and mine is an interesting word for it. Like, sure, this is the ownership of the hair. This is how it happens. And he's like laughing and he's like giddy. He's like, how did that appear on your head? And he's also balding. So he's like, what can she do for me? And I'm like, she can do nothing for you. You have no follicles left. It, that's You need a follicle for some. I mean, it's not that magic. Like, there's limits to the shits. You know what I mean? Um, so, but yeah, that was, that was the day. It's been on my mind recently because I was like, yeah, boo, that's, that's gonna be it for us, I think. Like, it was, it was such a moment in time. And I remember sitting there just like, wow, all right, the, the sorcery of this hair. He, he was mad like, like I did something to him. I was like, okay, word, I understand now. It's been on my mind lately. Mm-hmm. I feel like that falls in the category <laughs> of just something you could have not said. Easily, or easily just asked as like, later on that week, another another white man I've been in contact with looked at me and said, Oh my God, they're <laughs> everywhere. I know, camo. <laughs> I'm just like, all right, okay. But he, the way that he went about it was he looked at me and said, like, I thought there was less before. And I was like, yeah, and there's more now. You know? <laughs> and I, I like that. That was, it was a simple exchange of information. I'll say, what's on your mind? So what's on my mind is I, I recently had a conversation with a friend of mine in Chicago that was really uh, enlightening for me. She had posted on Facebook, know, as people do when they feel things. Um, She posted on Facebook saying that she was feeling sad, right? And so I was like, oh, word, I'm also feeling sad. Let's hang out and we can, like, drink beer and maybe get some ice cream. You know what I mean? That's what I like to do when I'm sad. Uh, And so I texted her, and she was like, no, fam, your sadness is not like my sadness. Um, There's many different types of sadness and ours are different, so we can't hang out and be sad together. Uh, And I just really appreciated the honesty of that because I hadn't thought about really like the ways in which sadness can be different and unique. And so um, I've been been thinking about that, all the different ways that we can be sad and and all the different ways that those sadnesses manifest and sort of, uh, and add, add to to my days, you know what I mean? Like I, I, we, we had a conversation with Tim Siebel's Uh, not too long ago, and in that conversation, you know, he talked about how happiness and sadness are visitors. They come and they hang out with you and, you know, you can't expect them to stay. And so I've been been thinking about this and and it's been really good to think about, maybe not good, but it's been helpful and honest to think about the ways that our sadnesses are different and that they don't have to be all one type of sadness. It's been helpful. I think it's one of the most beautiful things we got, you know what I mean? Like, I feel like I'm always, like, a slightly melancholy nigga, you know what I mean? Like, that's, like, the the frequency that I'm on. Uh-huh. That's my baseline. My baseline is slightly melancholy nigga, is the, you could label it as, actually. But I, I think that's, like, such a respect, too, for, like, you know, I might, might not be in the beer ice cream setting. I might be in the, like screaming into the pillow setting. Like, yeah. we have so many layers for human possibility. That's just lit. Yeah. I think I struggle, though, with knowing, with being too sure sometimes mm-hmm. of what the remedy is. Mm-hmm. For my, you know, like, I could easily be like, no, this is a Netflix type of sadness. 
and close <laughs> up. When I'm not feeling well or when I'm feeling like in, you know, like cloudy, I can't imagine what it would look like to go to an ice cream exchange. And there's something in that that tells me I'm not going, you know, because I'm like, I couldn't even picture what it would be like. But I do wonder if the ice, like, if the ice cream social that I'm picturing is, <laughs> you know, like, inaccurate is not, if it's exactly what I think it'll be or if it's not what I think it'll be. I also have an image in my mind of you at an ice cream social, yeah. and it's yeah. very yeah. funny. I, 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 I felt like I lost the room on ice cream social. <laughs> <laughs> My mind went somewhere else. I was like, what? Right. <laughs> <laughs> ice cream. Let's That's make so social. cool. Like, I'm going to the ice cream social in my mind. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. I'm going to use it. Yeah. <laughs> I guess what I mean is something that I hate is going to a party at midnight. That's like, if somebody's like, hey, party starts at midnight, I'm like, I will not be Oh, there. please. That's the party, though. I, yeah. And that's the thing, right? Is I picture myself showing up, being tired, and I don't, you know, like, you know when you're not having fun and you're like trying to drink in order to have fun? Yeah, we've seen you. We've seen you If I'm having fun, then I can drink, but I'm like, I'm trying to, I'm just like doing stuff and I'm tired and I'm like trying to socialize and can't socialize. And I picture that. But then, you know, every once in a while somebody's like, come at midnight and somehow I get there. And it ends up being Everyone's like scratching you off their guest list like Haven't you ever shown up in a room that you didn't want to be in and then had weirdly had like the best time? Yes. <laughs> no. 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 It happened to me this week. I, I, was, I was exhausted after work on Tuesday and got invited to like a happy hour function. I was like, I really just want to go to sleep. But I was like, let me at least try and like show up and I can like Uber out if I need to. And I showed up and it was great. Like I had a wonderful time. That's, That's different that's though. That's different. He said a place that you didn't want to be. You would want to be there, but you just thought you were too tired to go. I guess. Okay, he's like a place you don't want to be. Like, ugh. So here's a reality, okay? <laughs> if I get booked to do a reading, oftentimes I wake up that morning and feel Man. like tired, I'm like mad, I need to brush my teeth, I'm like, <laughs> you know, like, I feel about a lot of things, and I'm like, I can't even picture being in front of people. No, you I know, was like, I don't want to go, but I, I was, to go. I was mad at Vassar this morning. Really? <laughs> <laughs> there's this little, there's this little moment where, you know, I woke up and I said, damn, why did I agree to, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but, and then my husband said, you know, once you get there, you're good, and that's true. Yeah. Once I see new people, it's like, oh wow, we have these great conversations. I was talking about writing with Royal, where everything was good, you know. But God, I was pissed off this morning. Mm -hmm. I'm not gonna like them, and they're gonna like me. <laughs> <laughs> and there's a lesson there, right? Like professionally, you have to show up at these places, and so you're really happy that you are there when you're there. <laughs> <laughs> the lesson is don't break the contract. Like, <laughs> don't want to go. Or you'll get sued more than any sort of thing. I was having that feeling though last night because I had to leave out at like 1 a.m. to get here Woo! from L.A. Yeah, that shit was like an experience. You go through LAX? Mm -hmm. Oh, that's another thing, right? It's a whole other experience. And I went through, and it was like, and, and I love y'all, and thank you for booking this flight. I have no complaints, but it was American Airlines. And I have, you don't know, oh! I have a beef with American Airlines. I have a long-standing beef, like we've had words. Like we've had Twitter words. Huh? 
Probably, I don't maybe, know, yeah. maybe. But I, I remember just like fighting ardently with American Airlines because they like bumped me from a flight and bumped me from another flight and lost my bag and I had beef with a Twitter correspondent. And oh we're still not like friends, me and this airline. But before it, I was like, oh God, okay, we're gonna get on the plane. And I was drinking, um, this large cup of basil water. My partner was teaching me how to make There's basil a new water. Right? <laughs> basil. basil water. It's good. Yo, if you want your skin like ah and your energy like ah and to take consistent wonderful shits, like basil water. And like I'm drinking this basil water, but I'm getting all flustered packing and I leave it in the trunk of my homie's car. And I realize mid-drive to the airport that it's just in the trunk, open lid, whatever. And I'm like, ah oh, fuck, the basil water spilled everywhere. <laughs> Ruined my homie's car with this amazing basil water. And we get out and it's all intact. It hasn't moved from the spot. And I drink the whole shit. I'm like, okay, it's gonna be great. Master's gonna be immaculate. Cause the basil water didn't That's spill. the weirdest ass story ever. <laughs> 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 This is this is the life I lead. <laughs> welcome, welcome to the podcast. Right. <laughs> this is this is how we get down. Pretty much. Patricia, what's on your mind? Death. That's real. Word. Um, and, hi. I didn't mean to bring it. People were like death. Um, no, there's it's a weird there's a weird time when you go from everything's in front of you to I was looking at the books on the shelves that. I have at home, and I have probably, God, probably at this point about 2,000 books at my house on the shelves, and they're starting to pile up on the side. And uh, some more books came in, and I said, oh, this is great, put it on the shelf. And then I had this very loud, somber thought, I'm not gonna live long enough to read all these books. I'm not, you know? And then I, I used to have like this um, nine to five kind of get dressed up in your suit and stuff job and I keep all my clothes and I have a lot of clothes and I was trying to get some out to do for um, dress for success and I had this thing in my head that if you haven't worn it in a year give it away and I had all this stuff and I said you know I need probably about half a closet of clothes I have a style now I like things I like stuff like this I can wear them all these other things I'm not gonna live long enough to wear now, it sounds kind of like, ooh, but it was a really cool thing because I also have all these, all this writing I want to do, all this life I want to live, and it put it all kind of in perspective. Like, I have, I cannot suffer fools any longer. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I can't pitter around on projects that I feel in my heart aren't going to go anywhere. And I feel like my signature in the world right now is the most important thing for me to make. This is not a fearful thing. It's just a realization that the time is limited. Uh, what do you want to do? What do you want people to say about you five, 10, 20 years after, if anything, if they remember you at all? And, um, and so it's clarified a lot of things. And I'm not quite sure when that turn was, when I thought everything was endless and there were all these possibilities to, all the possibilities are still there, but you need to get serious about figuring out which ones are going to be what you want people to see later and what you, you know, what you're proudest of and what you're gonna be invested in and all that. So it's that, it's, it's, it's funny because the, the life that I've led and the people I've had around me, I, I made a joke today at, when these guys were coming and I go, 
why do all these young ass people always want to be around me? Um, <laughs> but you know, part of it is we have a shared, a parallel passion. And that parallel passion is something that not many people have. There are people that I've met in the poetry world who are closer to me than members of my own family, and there's a reason for that. I want to do good for them too. You know, I want to do good for them too. And they've trusted me with a lot of things. They've believed in me uh, when I didn't believe in myself. And I really just want to leave something that glows a little bit. So the choices I make now are just clarified and all that more important. And I don't fear dying or anything like that, but I just realized I'm, I've turned the corner and I see it's finite. It's not going to stretch endlessly. You're not going to have time for everything you want to do and all that. So I have a tan like a tangent that I don't know if it's quite a question, uh, <laughs> but I think it's also what's on my mind is like the, I've been thinking a lot about, I don't know, like what I put out into the world. And I've been, you know, I, I've really not been on social media very much in the last few years. And there are people who I've witnessed who are, who are you know, uh, prolific and seem to be really rewarding and re feel rewarded through their engagement with like, the curation of their social media profiles. But I'm realizing that when, I think I realized, and now I'm able to articulate, that I really appreciated getting likes in a way that I didn't, that I wasn't quite able to hmm. say uh, for a few years. And uh, like there's something incredibly rewarding about any kind of gratification. And I'm realizing now that or what I've been grappling with is both that like, and this might be being in a relationship where I feel very known, uh, and I'm like, oh man, I want to be known. I like desperately want to be known, and I very much want to be seen in a particular way. You know, like if I am doing something, I want to be seen as professional, or I want to be seen as a good writer, or whatever it is, and I can talk mm -hmm. about the process of how I get there, <laughs> But I want to be seen in some ways, and I wonder if there are moments where the way in which I want to be seen is directly butting against my desire to be known. <laughs> and I'm trying to figure out wow. how those two things come in conversation, because I do think there is something incredibly validating about what it is to put your voice into the world and to hear back. That is like, there's a lifeblood there. And hearing you talk about what it is to like leave behind, like leave behind something that glows. It just seems like it would be very sad to leave behind something that wasn't absolutely yours that glows. And I think I see artists who have whole trails of, of like work where I'm like, I don't think that was you. I think you left behind something that wasn't yeah. that wasn't yours. You know, yeah. that wasn't you. Yeah. Do you ever grapple with that? Um, I was talking to Royal about this and Brandon earlier. Um, talking about how I entered the creative landscape through getting up on stage and doing things, which was invaluable to me in a lot of ways. But meanwhile, the world is telling you, if I can't pick up a book 50 years from now and see your name, you're not valid mm -hmm. in a way. Okay, so I had to wonder if my striving toward that kind of success was me trying to cement a place in everybody else's eyes or what I really wanted to do. You know, that that was, uh, I fought with that for a long time. 
uh, simply because you you you're ra you're raised you 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 come up thinking that that's the pinnacle. So was I was I selling what I was doing short? I mean, it, 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 I wouldn't want him to have come up any other way. I came up through the poetry slam and things like that, and which I refused to let go of. I refused to say, oh, that's my past. This is my future. Uh, I just won't do that. What I want to leave, and I, at this point I think, whether it's spoken or written, I want people to say that she worked so hard it looked like she didn't work at all. So, and that can come down to, to revising the shit out of a piece where it looked like, you know, <laughs> she just pulled this out of her head, you know. <laughs> uh, or, or, you know, even the spoken word thing, anything like that. I mean, so I've, I've moved away from, you know, spoken word, academic, right, all that stuff. I don't want to put those lines between anymore. I just want someone to look at any of the work that I've done and say, there is, there is no doubt about craft here. Mm. Okay, that's all I want because I worked really hard and I want people to enjoy it. I want them to find avenues for their own craft in my work. I don't want it to be the, be, I'm always trying to get people, hey, I'm not doing anything none of you can do, any of you can do. I just, I really always believe that because my avenue has come up through some people when I was listening to open mics, when I just came up, there would be, here's a guy who pumps gas. Here's a secretary. Here's, um, you know, a guy who's been out of prison for like, you know, two years, and we're not quite sure if he did it or not, you right. know. But the most important place he could be on the Sunday night that was the center of my life for a long time at a place called the Green Mill in Chicago. <laughs> they would not be, they would not be any place else. So when people ask me about my favorite writers and all that, I said, you know, people who taught me the most are the people who maybe I've maybe heard one time, mm -hmm. who will never have a book. And that, being in the front of the mic, that day, that time, saying those words was the most important thing in their life. Mm -hmm. And it may have moved them that way or that way. Uh, I can study a book for years and not get the same feeling I got from that. I like that. I've, I've been thinking about that. I work at an organization called Young Chicago Authors, and right now we're in the middle of our big poetry festival that's called Louder Than a Bomb. And throughout this festival, there's 100 teams that participate. Something like 1,000 young poets uh, come up and they perform and they share their poems. And a lot of them, it's the first time that they've ever been given that opportunity. You know what I'm saying? It's the first time that they've ever been given a stage and three, given three minutes and been told, like, whatever you want to say, it's okay. Um, and then there's some of them that have been in the slam for years, you know, they've been in it since they were 13 and now they're 18 and they're like, they're professional performers in a sense. They're like that polished and that practiced in revision and they've read and they're, they're really solid, right? And so there's a wide range and the people that are the most interesting to me are always the ones who this is like their first time there and they're just like, because you're right, there's something about what, what happens when people are just given the chance, you know, and they, and they, is in all like they're not planning on making it a career, but they're but they're there and they're present and they're sharing something and it's important to them and they've worked on it and they like mustered up the courage to be there, you know? Yeah. 
that, that is really moving. Yeah, and I think it's like, for me, very much like two-pronged, like it's the ephemera. Like you kind of have that feeling like, okay, this is gonna be, I, I was gonna miss this, you know? This is something I was really gonna miss in my life if I wasn't here too. So it calls you to be incredibly awake and incredibly alive. And like, I think when I read certain books, like when I read, there are certain books that can give me that feeling like, I would have not picked up this book for the point you were saying earlier, like, I'm never gonna read all the books, right. you know? I was, right. the first day that me and John were like, I bet we're friends, I remember this, because John for a while was my mentor at Urban Word, and I remember you had invited me to come in and do a workshop at um, the syringe treatment. Positive Health Project. Yeah, Positive yeah. Health Project. And we were walking down from like, uh, Chelsea down down into the West Village and I remember telling you about Octavia Butler and I felt like I was gonna miss Octavia Butler unless someone literally handed her to me like I didn't know where I was gonna find her um, and that that feeling like right after you read a book and you're like fuck I could have missed this whole thing is like <laughs> that's how I feel when I hear those poems I'm like I could have missed this door in my, like this neural pathway this like new way of seeing and I remember talking to John about Oh, I'm a tell. I remember talking to John about Octavia Butler, and he was like, "Well, how much of her should I read? Like, how many books? Like, which ones?" And um, and you paused for a second, and you went, "I will never read all the books." <laughs> and it, it, I never forgot that. I was like, "Fuck! I'll also never read all the books." And. It, it's like this enormous thing that we do and it, it doesn't really make sense because we're so finite and people who write books are finite but somehow even with that equation we'll never read all the books yeah. we'll never hear all the poems and I think there, there's such a grace and humility to that you know and I think that's why we love at least why I love hearing like the person taking a chance like you said because it is a chance and they recognize it as a chance like I might not get this again. And know? it sticks with them. So yeah. I, I had this experience where like, I was like going to run an errand, you know what I mean? And I was like, I had to order something at FedEx. And I was like, all right, let me go to FedEx. I got to put in this order. And the person there was like, oh, are you with an organization? And I was like, yeah, I'm with YCA, da, 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 da. And the person was like, I used to do YCA back in the day. Hold up, let me see if I can get you any discounts. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> And it, it, you know, it stayed with this person all this time. And I, I was just like, you know, I don't know if that person still writes poems, but it, it doesn't matter. Like they, they did it at one time, they wrote, and it's been that important that it like has carried with them. It's stuck with how they live their life. Yeah, that reminds me of, I was in Memphis airport and it was like five in the morning or some shit. And there was this like black dude secure, I mean, just like, and from Mississippi, where I was living, it takes an hour to drive to Memphis to the airport, and that's not closest airport. So I'm like not present for anything. And there's this older black man, security guard, and he comes up to me and he's like, "Yo, are you a poet? Like you writer?" I'm like, "Yeah." Like I, I'm just like, I don't know how yeah, you're writing this time. Like no, I was just walking just to the <laughs> airport. And I was like, <laughs> perhaps this like right, like that I, you know, that, that's something I also worry about is like, do I have an aesthetic that's just like, ah, yes. <laughs> you, you artsy. We see you. You can oh. be nothing else. <laughs> can I draw no. you? And that's that's how, can I draw you, man? Listen. But he was like, yo, are you a poet? I was like, yeah, I'm a poet. He's like, yo, can, may I recite you something? 
and he's just the security guard at the airport, you know, and he's doing his thing, but he, he seems so, like, thrilled, like, ha, I found, and, like, he's, and a part of me is all cynical, a part of me is like, but I don't want to go to Vassar, a part of me is like, I don't want to do this with you right now, because it could be whack, because it could be misogynist, because it could be really creepy, yeah. but I listened to him, I don't remember what any of it was about, but he was so happy, and it was so, like, ebullient, you know, and, and he was like, I found, he found his open mic at 5 a.m. in the Memphis airport, you know, and I was like, okay, that's, that's worth me taking some time before I had to get on this plane. Yeah. Yeah. I, so, Patricia, I know that, you know, I've seen you at a lot of different poetry events where you were featuring, and I, I think maybe without exception, it seems like you're always in the front row you're never leaving after you're reading, you're there till the very, like you featured at the New Eureka and stayed for the open mic that <laughs> followed the slam. That's like a 4 a.m. stay, you know, for someone who lives in Jersey. Uh, which means that I feel like you've witnessed a lot of scenes like what Aziza is describing, someone who is reading a poem that yeah. is at, at bare minimum their voice speaking, you know, like sometimes bare minimum. Is there something in that exchange that you feel really tied to, or is there is it like what what is it that sends you to I don't know that spot in the audience to hear people? Well, speak? at the at the very basic level, I've been at readings where the exalted one who's coming to read comes in last minute, yeah. comes right to the stage, does the thing they do walks off the stage and directly out the back of the door. Mm. Not realizing that people aren't always just there to hear your poetry. Mm. Sometimes they're like, oh my God, I'm about to read my poem in front of mm. Nikki G. Oh, uh, never mind. Hey, shout out to this one. <laughs> no, but I think one of the one of the most rewarding things is um, you read something and you have someone come up and say, "I have felt that way," uh, or "That's happened to me," and I just didn't know there was a way to express it. You know, and you want to pull them up. You want to hear, and you want to follow through. You know, people tell me you're an idiot for giving people your email address or telling you to send them poems or something like that. But sometimes, you know. I was right there. I was in that exact same space. It's not like you get to a certain point and all that's just wiped out. I was really hungry for anyone to hear or read or, you know, I would hear things and go, oh my God, I didn't even know you could write about that. I didn't know you could say that out loud. That's in me. I don't know, you know. So my role, I think, is to like be there for that other person who's coming up and saying, when I said you could do what I do, I'm not joking. I mean, there's some craft, or the, maybe you want to do meter, and there's all kind of technical things you can learn and all that. But our role is storyteller. Mm. Not poet, particularly not fiction writer. We're all storytellers. We all love to, you know, we all love to sit across from somebody at a table or a bar and go, hey, guess what happened to me today? Mm -hmm. And sometimes that's, yeah. all what, that's all people need. They say, can you just listen to a piece of my story? Mm. Or I love to write. Could you send me a poem? How hard is it for me to say Send me a poem, and either they say, that's just great, can I send, you don't have to tell me anything, or can you tell me what you think? Mm -hmm. 
And I, I hear all the time people complain, I don't have time for these people, I don't know who they are, and you know, they can't do that to me, so why, you know, and it's like, how far back can you remember? How far, you know, I was right there. I was like watching poets go by that I had read and just go, that, that's, 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 so you know, the whole time, yeah, who had, who had written things that I went, oh my God, they know me. Mm. How do they know me? How did they find that out? How did they dig that deep? Mm. I didn't tell them shit. How did they, you know? <laughs> <laughs> you know, and you want to say something like, thank you, or how dare you, or something. And sometimes there's just this wall where you don't feel you can do that. And I don't want to build that wall for anybody else, you know? Yeah. Because the person who... The idea that you can only be taught by people who have achieved more than you is a really false narrative. You can't, you know, I mean, I could go to an open mic tonight and somebody, not even their whole poem, one line in their poem yes. could teach me something. So why would I otherwise not have a conversation with this person and not? So I'm afraid to leave New York and when it's over, before it's over, because I don't know where the lessons are coming from. They're not always coming from the feature. I, you know, most times I know who the feature is, I've heard the poems, whatever. They're coming from the person in the back who's been doing this the whole time with their poems. And maybe they're not paying attention because they're so, what am I gonna read? What are people gonna think, you know? And I wanna be there, even if it's not something I connect to, to say, that was really good work. Congratulations, this is your first time? Congratulate. Sometimes that's all it takes. That's all it takes, because I I came to my first venue clutching some poems in Chicago, clutching some poems that I I didn't even know that I was I was in this city hey. where <laughs> for those that don't know Jose's hands are really affirming the city of Chicago. I, I was right now. I was in the city from where I didn't even, I didn't even know there was this vibrant literary community, you know. Anyway, I went to an event. Um, called Neutral Turf, was supposed to bring together street <laughs> poets and <laughs> academic poets. And Gwendolyn Brooks was sitting in the front row with her little stockings rolled down below her knees and her Coke bottle specs on. And when people came off, the, and this was supposed to, there were some students who read alongside these big name poets. When those students came off the stage, she grabbed their hands and she would say something about a particular line. Or Gwendolyn Brooks, and she stayed there until they were done. I never forgotten that. Never forgotten that. And you know how much that probably meant to people that, even if she didn't say anything to that, they looked out and she was in the audience leaning forward a little bit, you know, and really paying attention to what they were doing. You don't know. You don't know the push people need. You don't know. You know the smallest thing sometimes that you can do. It's not like I'm saying, well, I'm here to be a champion for all poets. You know? <laughs> I mean, it's, it's not that, but I remember how needy I was. Just, could you just sit and listen to my mm -hmm. word, this line, this poem? So I love doing that. love doing that for people. Can I tell you, one of the first times I saw you was at the Mass Poetry Festival, and you were like in the front row, you had a camera on you, and you were taking pictures of everyone who read. That's what Dodie was, and all those. Yeah, 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 yeah. I was there with uh, Michael Hefflinger and Amanda Torres. They were like starting to build out a lot of in a bomb in Massachusetts. Mm. So all of us were there, like trying to organize educators and get them excited about this project that we had done in Chicago. And I'll just, I'll never forget because I think you were one of the featured readers, and I, you know, I kind of expected that 
you would be in the back, kind of like drinking wine. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> certainly I've been to places where the featured reader like doesn't give a shit. <laughs> is it is it time for me to go on now? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like in the back having conversations. It's like saying what's up to all their other famous friends. You know what I mean? And then they're like, oh, all right, now you need me. All right, cool, let's go. Uh, and I just remember like reading my poem and like you took my picture and I just like that stuck with me. You know what I mean? Like that's something that I remember. I took your picture because you was fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for those at home, Jose is fine. It's true. I'm gonna test to this. <laughs> you know what's, what's really funny about that is is sometimes I uh, Natasha Trethaway when she was still poet laureate. Uh, she invited some poets. They thought it was going to be her last appearance, and then she decided to re-up or something. But they thought it was going to So she invited like four or five poets. You can re-up on being poet laureate. I don't know. I, don't, <laughs> she yeah, I want to keep being the United she, States poet laureate. After she thought she wasn't going to do it, she did it again. But she invited us all to come. There was like four of us. Louis Wright Medias, Kevin Young, some people in advisory. So I'm still kind of like in awe, like I'm in, you know, here I am. And so I'm in her chair, I'm whirling around, I'm like, whee! I'm like, oh, you know? That's exactly um, what I mean. I know. So, but we had this reading, and I have a friend who's been with me a long time, who I had invited. And, uh, and so we do this reading, and then I notice at the end, she's a little standoffish, she's a little like, and I go, wow, what's the matter? I said, oh, we were all gonna go out, you know, and, and she's off to the side. And then finally, I said, what's wrong with you? And she said, well, you've got new friends now. It's as if there's this line, like, okay, you know the Poet Laureate, mm -hmm. so you can't really hang out mm -hmm. with us. Or she was, she was expecting me, there was some kind of change. And I think there's a lot of that hierarchy thing people think, mm -hmm. like, I just want to be up there, mm -hmm. you know? And I was like, wow, how many people think that you know, because you are invited somewhere or because you win an award or something like that, that all of a sudden you're saying, well, you know, John, Jose, it was nice. It was, nice. <laughs> it was really nice. Thank you so much for the lifting of me that you've done that has allowed me to be in this exalted spot. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, so it's it, a lot of it in people's heads, mm -hmm. you know, and, and it's not something that I've signed on for, but people, they have their you're doing this, oh, you have a book now, oh, your book won something, oh, you're, okay, well, right. it was nice knowing you. It's really, really sad, mm -hmm. really, and frightening a little bit, because my community is so vast and beautiful, mm -hmm. you know? I love the fact that I can go to LTAB, you know? And then I can go and say, oh, well, that's Juan Pereira, and he wrote my reference letter for Guggenheim. And then I could say, Juan, let's go to the slam. You know, it's just like, ah, this is what I wanted. I want all those lines to be crossed and everybody to know everybody and hear everybody's work, you know. But uh, you have to remember that there are other people and that's what they judge by. Mm -hmm. They judge by, you know, where are you now? Where are you yesterday? What are, you know, who do people say about your book? Do you have a book? Or what publisher do you have? So it's all those little things. And eventually you see who that matters to and who that doesn't. And I, I tell you, who it doesn't matter to is like these guys and the people, the people, I always keep coming back to the people I met at the beginning. This is where kind of my home is. The other stuff is fun. It's like going to the Grammys or something. You're like, hi, 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 you know? And you wear a nice dress or something, but then you're like, oh my God, I'm so tired of that shirt. Where's that, you know? Mm -hmm. So it, it's, a, it's a 
So I wonder, is there a, a time in your life where you wrote bad poems? You know, like, <laughs> what I'm really asking is about childhood. Like, will, you, will you paint us a picture? Not that I bet 12 year old Patricia wrote, like, no, really no, I think, I think there were a lot of, when I was doing the slam, there were a lot of things, my, my criteria was so different, mm -hmm. you know, uh, the, the poems were all very conversational, you realize that the people can only hear the poems once, they don't have the books in front, they can't go home and look them up, so I would put a lot of throat clearing, scene setting stuff, there was just way too much mm -hmm. stuff in it, and at first, when I got the slam, it was all about the last line. Mm. It didn't matter what the hell you did as long as your last line kicked, you know. It's like, uh, and then when you realize, well, A, it's not all about the slam, then I kind of got out of that. But I think some of that stuff, when I look at it and I say, I'm going to pull some old slam poems out and revise them. Some of them cannot be revised. <laughs> <laughs> What's an example of a really bad poem that you had that had a great last line? <laughs> oh, <laughs> that's such a great reaction. Like, just hit us with the last one. All right, so there was this. <laughs> there was this contest. Uh, Chicago's an amazing poetry town. There is somebody. <laughs> there is some place you can I'll, I'll go every night to hear poetry, uh, you know, and sometimes twice. And so you, you write a new poem, and you just go across the city and read this poem. But they had this they had this contest where a citywide contest and they would send the winner of the contest to one of Chicago's sister cities. It's a, a big deal, right? So uh, the sister city they wanted to send people to was Osaka, Japan. Mm -hmm. And uh, so you had to write, and it was a nature, the, the festival was huge, but it was centered on nature somehow. You had to go. So they said, okay, can you write a poem, a nature poem? So I, I didn't grow up around any nature. Yeah, I didn't see grass till I was six. What? <laughs> <laughs> so I, I thought, I know. I'm going to write a persona poem in the voice of a tree on Chicago's lakefront. Right? The seasons change. Come on, guys. Really? Right? That's good. Right? So, That's my favorite. So it's, it, it had all this stuff in here about uh, the, the, uh, the lake coming up on the tree. The, the lake chills, the trees thick ankle, this is all kind of bullshit. And, and you know, lots of stuff like that and the seasons would change and, and, and then how the, the tree felt when people would squall their, their initials into her skin and all this blah, blah, blah. And, uh, and then I thought, okay, what am I doing? I'm trying to win a trip to Osaka. <laughs> so I go at the end, I go, and the tree, wait a minute, oh, the last lines. And the tree has a name for the something that whispers softly into her skin. Dramatic pause. It is called Chicago. Woo! Yeah. around the box, man. <laughs> it was totally manipulative. I was just like, I gotta get the city's name in there. It has to be dramatic. Well, yeah. Chase What? Chicago. Chicago. <laughs> you know, but the, the pause, you know, it's called. And I was like, what's it called? What's it called? It's called Chicago. <laughs> 
Drop the mic. <laughs> oh, give me my ticket. <laughs> give my ticket. I want to go. I thought that could be the audience. I was with the audience and be like, oh! <laughs> That's where we live! <laughs> oh my god! I'm so connected to this tree! <laughs> That's where we're at! Wow, how'd she do that? <laughs> my sensibilities are very sophisticated, in case you can't tell. <laughs> Your sensibilities are entirely Chicago. Good yes. serious sensibility. Yeah. Oh, Dave. Um, Anybody here from Chicago? Hey! Hey! Hi! Hi! That's why she was working that pizza earlier. Yeah. She was like, we're from Shy and we don't care. We are hungry. We don't care. <laughs> <laughs> My new favorite person. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Let's go out later. Where's the hot spot here in Poughkeepsie? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Look at them all laugh. Okay, never mind. I just want to say on, uh, on air that we did not ask that question. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, I have a question for you, Patricia. Um, so besides the craft of writing and besides like the communities of writing, what other ways do you nourish yourself? What other art, what other activity? You know, I'm always struck by like, um, Murakami, um, and how he'll like run marathons. Uh, this is always running, steady running. I don't know, but you know, like I'm, you know, but you know, like what other, what other ways do you feed? Do you get oh, nervous? Really strange. Yeah, okay, because lately I have been feeling as if I am not nourished. Mm -hmm. uh, I feel very. I don't feel like there's any way that I can turn where there isn't something waiting for me to do. And I don't mean artistic things. I think I'm not very organized in my keeping up with my teaching, keeping up with, you know, even things that I'm doing around the house. I don't, I'm not quite sure what that is. Uh, so I'm on a kind of on a new search for nourishment. I went I, I started going to an acupuncturist, which was amazing. Uh, no, I had this neck thing, and she, uh, you know, and I was going on and on about it, and she was like, yeah, 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 uh, yeah, yeah. And I was like, well, this is such a waste of my money, and she was like, ew! <laughs> it was gone. I was like, yo, bless you. <laughs> uh, but it, 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 it sort of nudged me into realizing how much I, I haven't cared about my body. Mm -hmm. You know, um, haven't exercised, eating anything that I want, you know, and, and that sounds really normal, but I do think that doing that in conjunction with practicing my art would be a really fantastic thing. Mm -hmm. And so a lot, like when you were talking about the basil water, I was like, basil. <laughs> you know, because you, you know, there's a, there's kind of a, I, I, I want, I want my body to be clear. Mm -hmm. You know yeah. what I mean? I, I just want it to be transparent in a way. I want, you know, I don't want to be weighed down by things. And and, and, so, and I'm not just talking about weight. I'm talking about emotional things and all that. So I am now in a place where I feel, I would have felt earlier that it was way too late in my life. I just go, oh, what are you doing? Are you crazy? Just let it go, whatever it is. But um, I, I do feel there's a lot of clearing to be done. It's funny, the nurturing thing, I felt like I've lived most of my life for somebody else mm. or trying to please somebody else. And it took my reaching a certain point in my poetry to see how fruitless that was. And uh, then you have to make a decision. 
am I going to give up on myself because I've lived most of my life that way, or am I going to see the beginning of a new life? So I'm I'm trying to put everything in order now, and um, put make myself a priority instead of I'm raising this person, or I'm married to this person, or I'm teaching to this institution, or I'm doing this. And what does the institution want? What does the husband want? What does the kid want? What does she need? What you know? um, and it's been really hard for me to say no. It's been really hard for me to say uh, I don't have time. Me first, and that's that's the stage I'm in right now. I'm just I'm I'm practicing. Sometimes I say things I hear it out loud. I say that felt good, and I do it again. <laughs> you know, but my my um, optimum health is on the other side of where I am now. Mm -hmm. But I am headed in that direction. You know, you, you said a lot there that stuck with me. One of the things right now that I'm thinking about is, um, have y'all seen the, the web series Brown Girls? Yes, yes. Good. If you, shout out to those of you who have done that for yourselves. <laughs> if you've not seen it, go watch it. It's called Brown Girls. You can find it online. Um, there's a scene early on in the series, and the, and the series is written by uh, a poet named Fatima Asker. Woo! Yeah, shout out to Fatima. Hey. Fatima is the truth. Um, and one of the scenes, you know, the mother is explaining to her daughter Patricia, like why her and her husband are like kind of separating. They they haven't divorced. It's not a real separation. No one's like cheated. There's nothing, no reason for them to separate. But they've like they're taking time. And she, you know, the mother is explaining like I've never spent time by myself. I was always raising the kids or I was always, you know, like in love. And so this is the first time that I've gotten a chance to sit with myself. And I and I and I and I think about that so I think about that scene a lot about what it about how how my own life is like going towards that and like I wanted to in some ways and and you know, and that's the terrifying thought it's also frightening. the thing. Yeah. It's frightening. It's almost like I think I know for myself right now, I to John's point about social media earlier, like I've pretty much pulled myself all the way away from it. Like I don't speak on it. Um and in my life I've pulled myself away from a lot of institutions and a lot of well, everything I was doing. Because it was like I don't it got to the point where I didn't know who I was without the things I was doing. Woo! It's like I don't if if I don't record this podcast, I don't know who I am. If I don't write this poem, I don't know who I am. And if I don't go teach my students, I don't know who I am. And like, you know, I was probably gonna keep being like that forever, you know, because it's very validating. I have fun, it's very satisfying, you know, but it's like it. I remember I was like standing in front of my students in Mississippi and it was, I used to teach uh, at Ole Miss and it was election day and we had creative writing class and I should have just canceled the fucking class that day. Like, you know, I thought about it. I was like, oh, we could scrap class. Everyone could go take care of themselves. But I, there was some part of me that was like, I don't know who I am unless I'm doing this class. Um, it was like the underlying belief. So I go like a fucking idiot and like, it, it was astonishing because there was this one black girl in the class, um, in this one corner of the class, and this one southern white dude in the class, and everyone in between. And everyone in between, when they wanted to talk so much about the election, they were like, I can't believe it, it's the first time I get to vote, and it's between this guy and this lady, and I don't know, and everyone's like so animated. 
And this one Southern white dude over here is like, I just can't wait for this election to be over. I'm sick of people rioting in the street over their hurt feelings. I just want this to be done. And this black girl in the other corner was like, you mean, you mean for my life? You mean us rioting for our lives? Because people in this country don't think we matter. And he's like, see, you're proving my point right now. I was just trying to say what I believed, and you're getting all mad and yelling at me. And where I come from, people just you know, say if something hurts them, and they move on. Why can't you move on? And this is happening like this. And I'm supposed to be like the teacher <laughs> or something, yeah. or, or, or yeah. just a voice in the room. And I didn't say shit. I just stood there like, uh, and Johnny was just like, see Aziza, she's proving my point. She's so angry, and she was going off. I was like, thank you, because she was just like, I can't believe you coming in here, and you're ignorant, and you don't read, and you're in this class, and you don't read. And I was like, yeah, why doesn't he read? That's kind of my problem. He should read. And like, and, and afterwards, she was like, look, I'm going to go take care of myself. I have a life and a kid, and you're really nice and whatever, but like, today sucks, and you didn't help. And I was like, fair. And I talked to old dude, and he looked at me, and he was just kind of like, you know, very solemnly. He was like, I mean, I told you. Like, I knew it was going to be like that. Like, I knew she was going to be like that. And I was just like, I got I to gotta stop for a second, because that is just wild. So I really feel what you're saying in terms of like the nourishment. Cause I got to a point where I was like, I gotta interrogate why I do what I love, you know? Like where where is the love in my body coming from? You have to stop all the time. You yeah. can't say, Oh, I know it. You have to stop like three times a day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I didn't know it was that much. Oh yeah. yeah. It's yeah. so much, and I feel so delighted to hear that because I thought I was just losing my mind. I was like, oh, I'm stopping in the car and I'm crying, and I'm stopping in Kroger and I'm crying, and I'm stopping in the, you know, and and as much as I do poems and we do poems, I, I realize I was a very like emotionally stunted poet actually. I'd be in the Kroger like, I won't cry, I won't cry about nothing. I just want to buy eggs, like you know, and, and be like, I'm fine. But it's like, no, if, if you do this. You Probably gonna cry in a Kroger. You probably gonna cry everywhere. Kroger for real. <laughs> Kroger for real. <laughs> I fell in love with the Kroger after. The Kroger is a supermarket. If y'all are not southernly affiliated. Y'all know Kroger? Yeah. Who knows Wegmans? Yeah. Anybody from Cincinnati? What I'm talking about. And y'all, if you like that, part one with Patricia Smith, the God, tune in in two weeks' time for yet another one. As DJ Khaled says, you do not want to miss this gold. I poet you guys. These barns here. Peace.